Uh, last year uh, was my first Ash Wednesday that I celebrated. Uh, I walked from my house over to St. Peter Claver on Jefferson and participated. And uh, it was a really meaningful thing for me. It was probably also the, the, not just the first year that I had done Ash Wednesday, it also was the first year I'd really done Lent uh, and fasted. And, um, and so uh, Justin and I, as we talked over this Lenten season and uh, how uh, the Lord might be leading us, we said, hey, let's do Ash Wednesday. Uh, let's, uh, let's encourage our church uh, to, to this practice of fasting uh, during Lent. So uh, here we are. And uh, what I found out, I learned a lot of things. I remember going home afterwards and I thought, gosh, Lent's actually a little longer than 40 days. What's the deal? And I didn't find out until about uh, day 44 that there's 46 days in Lent and that there are feast days. Didn't know. I uh, wasn't raised in that kind of tradition. So uh, Lent is 46 days. It's 40 days of fasting. There's six feast days that occur on the Sundays uh, during Lent. And uh, they are to symbolize, as Lee prayed earlier, the 40 days of fasting and prayer uh, that Jesus committed to. And these ashes, they're to symbolize our mortality and our need for repentance. And so that formula that was uh, read to you as uh, you received your ashes is from dust you were made and to dust you will return. Uh, it's from Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 19, it happens after Adam and Eve uh, have fallen. And God comes and he pronounces a curse on the serpent, on Adam and on Eve. And he reminds them that they were made from dust. So here they are, the pinnacle of all God's creation, are made from the most base substance imaginable, dust. And then it's to dust they are to return. They're not going to live in unending glory because they screwed up the original plan. Therefore, that's why this season is also one, not just remember our mortality, but it's also one of repentance. But this repentance isn't just a heart posture. It is that, but it's more than that. It's also takes on a form, a practice, if you will. See, at the core of who we are as people is that we're lovers. We're not thinkers. We're not doers. We're lovers. I mean, remember Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said that because at our core we're lovers, but our loves are misdirected. We don't naturally love God and neighbor. We naturally love ourselves. And so as we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to love him and neighbor more and more. Our love needs to be redirected from self and redirected toward God. But the way that our loves are redirected are through our habits, through our practices. So let me just take shopping as an example. I, I know that when you go shopping, there's no altars or pews or pulpits or steeples when you go to the summit. There's no pews or altars or pulpits or steeples when you go to Fayette Mall. You don't see pictures of altars or pews or pulpits or steeples when you go to Amazon.com. I know it doesn't seem like a religious space, but let me show you that worship is happening in those spaces. It's a worship experience. And worship is about rituals of ultimate concern that form our identity. And these rituals, they reflect what matters to us and they shape what matters to us. They give us visions of the good life. And so when you bring this definition of worship to all of life and not just something religious, you see that the shopping experience is that of worship. And this shopping experience is consumerism and consumerism has a vision of what the good life is. It has a vision of what kind of people it wants us to become. 
And then that vision is embodied, and it's embodied in practices. See, consumerism has something it wants us to love. So let me show you. Think about marketing when it comes to consumerism and shopping. Marketing really just is a form of evangelism, isn't it? I mean, I know when you go to the summit, they're not handing out tracks. They're not giving you didactic lectures. But they're engaging your senses, your sound, the sound, the touch, the taste, the smell, and especially the sight. What marketing does, it gives us happy people who consume products. They engage our imaginations that seep into our hearts, our nerve centers, and it slips right past our intellect. See, consumerism is just trying to convince you that you really aren't that happy. It's trying to convince you that you're fallen, isn't it? And you need the shop. You, you, you start thinking, oh, everything seems to work for the people that I see consuming product X. They, they seem to enjoy life so much more than I am at the moment. And so you see these images of happiness and fulfillment and pleasure, and they're insinuating something. This isn't you. You know it. And so do we. The one offering the product. So the one offering the product is trying to convince you of your fallen state, and then it's trying to offer you the path to redemption, isn't it? And it's consumption. And this consumption is a kind of therapy. It's a healing activity. It fixes your poor complexion. It gives you something besides your old rusty car. It fixes your outdated wardrobe, and it makes you happy. And so you see that this is about habits. Consumerism is about habits, and so is being a sports fan and any other number of things. So what I'm trying to do is just show you that our Christianity is a form of worship. And that the practices that we engage in as Christians both reflect our love for God and they shape it. And fasting is one such practice. The practice that we talk about in Lent. And it's often thought that fasting is just about giving up food. But it could be you give up meat during Lent. It could be you give up television or social media or alcohol or eating out or shopping. It could be any number of things. But what matters most is that whatever you choose to give up in Lent... Is something that leads you to repentance. For instance, if I were to give up social media, it doesn't lead me to repentance because I've not done social media. I logged out, Jenna changed my passwords over two years ago. Not going to lead me to repentance. I could give up shopping, but I don't really do it anyways. You can tell by the way I dress. So it's important to give up something, a practice that reflects and forms your love for something other than God. So what fasting really is, it's giving up something to create an emptiness of sorts that can then be filled by love from and for God. So to help us understand fasting a bit more, let me just bring up two passages from the Gospels. One is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, so Jesus is assuming that you're a faster, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received the reward. But when you fast, 
Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you see that Jesus is telling us how we are to fast. And the way, the way we are to fast is not to draw attention to ourselves so that other people notice. Rather, we're supposed, instead of showing people that we're fasting when we feel these pangs of hunger from not feeding our appetites, they're to force us to prayer. Not to getting applause from others. So whatever it is that you fast from, when it gets hard... Don't talk to everybody about it. Let it be an impulse for you to pray. The other passage is from what we looked at at Hope as a church on Sunday, Luke 18. It doesn't explicitly talk about fasting, but it kind of is. What we looked at was a rich young ruler. And remember, he comes to Jesus and he says, how might I, how might I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He walks away and he walks away sad. He rejects Jesus' offer of eternal life. He refuses to follow the way of Jesus. And afterwards, Jesus turns to his disciples, rich and rulers long gone, and he talks to the disciples about what it means to give things up. In verse 29, chapter 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So you see, giving things up, that's fasting. But in both these texts, Jesus is talking about what we gain as about about as much as what we give up. See, a few years ago, uh, I had three gum surgeries in my mouth. Uh, My gums were receding because I was grinding my teeth in my sleep and I was brushing my teeth too hard. And so the the, the, um, roots of my teeth, they were exposed. So anything really cold or really hot caused caused me great sensitivity. It was very painful. And my dentist said, if if they keep receding, we're going to have to pull them out and you're going to get dentures. And I was like, my gosh, I'm in my 30s. Scaring the tar out of me. So I go to a different kind of dentist and I decide to have this surgery. And the surgery really is just they sewed new tissue into your already existing gums. It's a gruesome, some of you, I can see you, you're, you're wiggling in your seat. You should. It's gruesome and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But the worst part of this wasn't the three surgeries themselves. It was what It was a practice I had to give up, something I was used to, and that was brushing my teeth. See, these three surgeries were about a quadrant of my mouth. So three of the four quadrants of my mouth had this surgery, and when I would have the surgery, I wasn't able to brush that quadrant of my teeth for six weeks. So you would brush your teeth, and they'd kind of feel clean, but your mouth also kind of still felt like a garbage can. So I'd get done with one round of six weeks, and I'd jump right into another round of six weeks. That jumped into my third round in six weeks. So it was over 18 weeks that my mouth kind of at best felt like a garbage can. But you see, I fasted from brushing because I had a bigger vision of what it meant to have dental flourishing. I was going to have healthy gums at the end of this. I wasn't going to have sensitivity anymore. And I was going to have an assurance that I could keep my teeth longer. And brothers and sisters, that's what you're going to need in order to fast. Fast. 
You need a bigger vision than just what you're going to give up. You've got to see that you've got a reward coming down the pike for you. And that reward is Jesus himself. That's what he says in Matthew 6. And Luke 18, he says, if you give up anything for the kingdom, you'll get many times more in this age and the one to come. So you give up social media. You do it for the kingdom. You'll get real Holy Spirit connection with God's people instead. You might give up shopping, which has worked like a salve for your wounds for years. And during Lent, you'll get a soothing from the Holy Spirit instead. You give up alcohol because it's served as a kind of peace for you in the midst of the chaos of your life. Well, during Lent, you'll know a peace that passes all understanding. And this peace has been offered to you through the cross of Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, don't let what you're giving up dominate your vision for Lent. Because no real change is going to occur. Rather, zoom out. Let Jesus dominate your vision, his person, his work. And you'll be rewarded with him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we, Arlington Christian Church and Hope Presbyterian Church, Lord, that we would cry out to you in maybe a new way or a fresh way of how bad we need you every hour. We need your reward. That we need you to give us many times more in this stage and the one to come for what we're losing. Oh Lord, help us shape us during these weeks ahead. In Christ's name, amen.